0: Hey and welcome to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. Here you'll find a teaching for your life from God's Word by Pastor Wes Aram. So let's get to it. So grab your Bibles and open them up to the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 14. Either on the hard copy you brought with you or on your electronic device. Uh, there's a lot of great Bible apps you can look at or you can just kind of uh, look over on somebody next to you. You can borrow their, uh, their Bible. We're gonna be in uh, John 14 in just a few moments, but uh, along with this, your song sheets on the back has notes. So, and I'm gonna grab mine. So, uh, and there's blanks to fill in. So uh, grab a writing utensil and be ready to fill those blanks in. And I've got scriptures there that uh, are for you, so you can check those out uh, at your leisure. But uh, we're going to get into this thing. So everybody is a theologian because everybody has words about God. And it's like I said, it's critical that we have the right words about God and that we believe the right words about God. Because listen, if you have the wrong words about God and you believe the wrong words about God, that's not only going to lead you to a wrong life, it is going to lead you to a wrong eternity and it doesn't get any bigger than that. So we have to make sure that we have the right words, that we believe the right words, and that we are communicating the right words to others that we do not misrepresent God, because that just stinks. Let me prove it to you. How many of you have ever had somebody say something about you uh, that was not true? Anybody have somebody gossip lie about you? Think yeah, sure. We've all had that experience. How many of you love that? You just love it when that happens. Yeah, some of you are like because you love punishment. No, nobody loves. I I hate it when people say wrong things about me and they misrepresent me. You know why? Because it affects how other people. We're listening to that will respond to me if somebody says something wrong about you that's not true it affects other people in their response to you and on a relational level that stinks but man on a divine level it's way way more serious when we misrepresent god when we say things about him that simply aren't true god is not okay with that case in point i've listened to the scripture there for you let me read it for you out of jeremiah Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. He says this in chapter 14, Then the Lord said to me, this is God's word, says this, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own minds. God says, these people are coming up with their own stuff about me, and it's not true, and I am not okay with it. Verse 15, Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the prophets who are prophesying in my name, I did not send them. Yet they are saying, quote, no sword or famine will touch this land. They were telling people what they wanted to hear. And God says those same prophets will perish by the sword and by the famine. God is not okay with us misrepresenting him. He is not all right with that. He wants us to speak the truth. Because listen, if we willfully believe wrong about God, you know what we're doing? We're telling God who he should be rather than allowing him to tell us who he is. When we choose the wrong words and to believe the wrong words about God, we're telling God, God, you should should be like this. And guess what? That breaks one of God's top tens. They happen to be here on the wall on either side, so I figured I'd use them. Look at number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. In other words, you must not make for yourself an idol. You must not make for yourself your own God. When we choose to believe wrong about God, that's what we're doing. We're breaking that commandment. We're making our own God for ourselves. And God is not okay with that. He takes that very seriously because He understands what's at stake for us and for those who listen to us and for those around us. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says this, My people are being destroyed because they don't know Me. God says that's what's on the table, man. People are going to be destroyed because they don't know Me. They don't have the right words. They don't believe the right words. God says I want them to know and believe the right thing about Me. And so He's revealed Himself so that we can know God He has made Himself knowable through His creation, that's called general revelation, through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, and through His written word. And we're going to get into it tonight. So let me tell you, uh, in the brief time that we have together, we're going to talk about One of the things that is the right words about God that He wants us to know. And it is a basic tenet of the Christian faith and it is one of the things that separates Christianity from every other belief system. And it is this. And you can fill in the blanks. Here it is. It's the Trinity. That's your first blank. The Trinity. The Trinity is the belief, the Christian doctrine belief, that God eternally exists as one essence and three distinct persons. As one essence and three distinct persons. Persons. Now, I'm willing to bet, I'd love to see a show of hands, how many of you have grown up, you've gone to church, have actually ever heard an entire sermon about the Trinity? Anybody? A few of you? Yeah. I didn't hear one until until I went to Bible college. That's the first time I actually heard a teaching, in terms of a, a, a message, about the Trinity. And yet, this is one of the foundational Aspects of Christianity, that we understand that God is one in three. Now, that's, that's challenging, okay? It's a mystery, to be sure, because we have to hold intention to almost opposing concepts, the oneness and the threeness of God. And yet, that is how God uh, presents himself. And let me tell you, just about every major heretical teaching and heresy uh, comes out of punting on the Trinity, yeah, you got atheism, there is no God. you got polytheism, there's many gods. You've got uh, modalism, that God appears, he's one, but he appears in three different modes. Not persons, but modes. You have Arianism, which says that the God is deity, but not the Son and not the Holy Spirit. Out of that you have Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and on and on it goes. The Trinity is a very, very big deal. And God uh, reveals himself as the triune God in his word. So, here we go. Buckle up, we're going to go fast. First... God reveals himself to be one at Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. Four words. In the beginning, God. Now you have to understand, the first people who heard this were the Israelites. They had been, this was jaw-dropping to them, because they had been in Egypt in captivity for 400 years, and that was very polytheistic. The Egyptians, they had many gods. And then Moses comes along, commissioned by God, he comes along and he says, nope, there's only one God, and this is who he is. Jehovah. One God, Yahweh. There's only one. and he, he, uh, he declares this later in Exodus 3.14. Exodus 3.14 says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And then Moses declares this again in Deuteronomy to, uh, to the Israelites, where he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jump over to the New Testament. I don't have this verse down here for you. You can write it in John 10.30. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. In Galatians 3.20 says, God is one. So we have the clear declaration of Scripture. And again, we're just hitting some highlights here, because this is not a deep theological class. You guys aren't going to get a certificate on the way out, okay? Just so you know. But we're going to go again into this, because we're going to land someplace spectacular. So stay with me. God is one. Very important. But he also presents himself as He's three. Three distinct persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay? We've got Matthew 28, 19, often referred to as the Great Commission, right? Where Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly presents that and these are just some there's more i'm just hitting, hitting some highlights for us so you understand that i'm not just making this up this is what the scripture says and this is what god wants us to know about him one god revealed in three distinct persons um, professor and theologian um, he, sa- he says it this way he says that uh, god is three persons each person is fully god and there is one god god is three persons each person is fully god and there is one God. And each person is fully God. This is where some of the cults, uh, like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and stuff, they, they uh, disagree with that. But the Bible clearly tells us that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God. They're all divine. Uh, fill in the blanks here. The first one is the Father is God. Matthew 6, 9, right, is when Jesus was teaching people to pray. This then is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Father is God. Second, the Son is God. John 1, 1 and verse 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only uh, begotten Son. So Jesus is declared to be God, and then the Holy Spirit is God. Acts 5, 3-4 through 4 says this, Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. The Father's God, Son is God, Holy Spirit is God. They're all three God. Now, why is that so important? There's a lot of reasons in our time and our rest of our time together. I'm gonna focus on one. The reason the Trinity and understanding the Trinity is so important. Is because of the gospel. The good news that we can be reconciled to God, that we can have a relationship with God, have eternal life, have our sins forgiven, go to heaven through Jesus Christ, that's the good news of the gospel. That doesn't happen apart from the Trinity. Every member of the Trinity plays a specific and an essential role in the gospel. Here are the blanks on your page. Let me fill them in for you. First is the Father initiates the gospel. That word is initiates. Father sends sends the uh, the father sends a son. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The father initiates the gospel. Secondly, the son. Okay, the son accomplishes the gospel. Accomplishes the gospel. John three seventeen says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus, uh, another verse you could write down there is 1 Peter 3, 8, where it tells us that uh, Jesus was the righteous who died for the unrighteous in order to bring us to God. So the Son accomplishes the gospel. Father initiates the gospel, Son accomplishes the gospel. The Holy Spirit applies the gospel applies the gospel to us and that He indwells us and that He seals us. Let me read a couple scriptures I have them noted for you there. 1 Corinthians 6:19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. When you become a believer, God, by His Spirit, indwells you. You become the temple. This church building, God does not reside here. You know when God shows up here? When you as a believer walk through the door, because you and I, we are carriers of the Holy Spirit. So that means, listen, you know what that means? Every situation you walk into as a believer, you are taking the presence of God with you. In your job, when you go out to eat, when you go to shop, you are taking the presence of God with you into that situation. Is that awesome? He is with you. And he said, I'll never leave you to forsake you. He is with you. He indwells you and he seals you, which is awesome. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you invited Christ in, committed your life to Jesus, you were marked in him with a seal. First of all, that means it's a seal of ownership. God is saying, this one belongs to me right here. He's putting a seal of ownership on you. Nobody can take that off, by the way. God put it on. Nobody's stronger than God. He seals you for the day of redemption. You are sealed. You belong to Him. The verse continues: the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He is a deposit guaranteeing guaranteeing our inheritance. In other words, it's a down payment. The Holy Spirit is your guarantee, down payment that you are going to go to heaven to be with God forever. That's what that means. That's what, so when you invite Christ in, right, the Father who has initiated the gospel, the Son who has accomplished the gospel, they come and make their home with you through the Holy Spirit. He indwells you, He is with you. The Father and Son are with you by the Spirit of God. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us that. You have that in front of you in John chapter 14. Let me show you a couple verses. Look at verse 17. This is the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it, is ne- it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him. This is, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. For He lives with you and will be in you. You are a temple. The Holy Spirit is in you. Look at, uh, over at verse 23 of chapter 14. it says. Jesus replied, If anyone loves Me, he will obey My teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. God the Father and His Son make their home in you by His Spirit. If you sit and think about that, it'll blow your mind. It is unbelievable. The Creator of the universe who holds and upholds all things by the word of His power, the Son. The Father and the Son come and make their home in you. As a believer. When you invite Christ into your life, you step into the fellowship that has been going on from eternity past with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Joy-filled, love-exploding, intimate fellowship because God is love. And God has been sharing that. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have been sharing and enjoying, giving, and receiving that from eternity past. And when you and I, when we become a believer, we are invited into that relationship. How cool is that? How amazing is that? But that's the truth. That is the truth. And the Trinity, listen to this, this is where it gets crazy good. The Trinity helps us understand just how much and in what ways we are loved by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look at, uh, look at uh, chapter 15 there in John. Look at verse 9. This is Jesus speaking, speaking to his disciples. So if you're a believer, then this is you. By the way, if you're here and you've never invited Christ into your life, this is what's waiting for you right here. Jesus says, the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Jesus says, God the Father has loved me, that's how I love you. How does the Father love the Son? Perfectly, completely, eternally, unconditionally. That is how Jesus loves you. Perfectly. Okay? There's no lacking. He'll never, he'll never be wrong. He'll never, he'll, never, he'll never love you for His selfish purposes. Completely. That means He'll never come up short. Ever. Eternally. It's forever, unconditionally. Not a bunch of hoops you have to run through to give yourself to Christ. And then, see, a lot of people get this wrong. They think that they come to Jesus and then they got to perform, 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 perform in order to get God to love you. Wrong answer. No, no, we obey Him not to get Him to love us. We obey Him because we know He already does. And because we love Him. Yeah, and you know how I know that? Look at the next verse, verse 10. This is Jesus. What does He say? If you obey my commands you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. Our obedience doesn't earn us God's love. It positions us to experience His love. God's love is perfect. It's continual. It's it's coming at you, man. All the time, 24-7. But when you and I sin, it's like we we stiff-arm God. It's not that His love is not there. It's that we're going to have a hard time experiencing it. Why? Because of our sin. Sin rips us off. That's why God doesn't want us to sin. It destroys us. And it rips us off from experiencing God's love. This is how Jesus loves you. He loves you as a father loves Him. Ready for more? Flip over to chapter 17. Look at chapter 17. Look at verse 23. Chapter 17 verse 23 it says, "Jesus is praying. He's praying for us, those who believe in Him. I and them and you and me may they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them." Even as you have loved me. How does God the Father love you? Same way He loves the Son. How does the Son love you? Same way the Father loves Him. <laughs> right? That's unbelievable. And the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 5 5, says this God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Understanding this leads us to this unbelievable but life-changing, eternally shaping conclusion. Three words. God loves me. As you sit there, I want you to speak those words silently to yourself over your heart. God loves me. Satan doesn't want you to know that. He certainly doesn't want you to believe it. He wants you to think that God loves you sometimes when you can perform well, when you do good things. When you're having a good day, God loves you. When you're having a bad day, He's not so sure about you. The Bible tells us something different. The power of the Trinity tells us something different. The power of the Trinity is behind those three words. God the Father loves me. God the Son loves me. God the Holy Spirit loves me. I want you to do something for me. Stick with me as we close. Follow this thought experiment through. It's based on description of God and His throne in revelations. I'm gonna invite you to just close your eyes just for a moment. Close your eyes just for a moment. Here's what I want you to picture. I want you to picture that you have been transported to heaven. You're there with billions and billions of other believers. And you are in the throne room of God. And you see the throne. Words can hardly describe the moment. God is lifted high and seated on the throne. The seraphim, three angelic creatures, are flying around the top of the throne, declaring, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. The Bible tells us that peals of thunder and lightning are ripping from the center of the throne. Every ounce of celestial oxygen is just sucked out of your lungs as you see this unbelievable picture. It is euphoric beyond belief. And then the one seated on the throne calls you by name. And he invites you to come close. And as you do, Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father Steps down from his throne, representing the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he approaches you. Do you see him? His face is bursting with delight over you. He comes to you and he embraces you. He holds you close and he whispers in your ear. I love you. Will you please believe me? I love you. The Father loves you. The Spirit loves you. Will you please believe me? Imagine what would happen if we did. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of your word. Thank you that these are the right words. These are the true words about you that you've declared to us. That when we come to you and we confess our sins and our need of a Savior, that Jesus, you come. And you wash us clean. You connect us with the Father. You invite us into this amazing relationship. You give us your spirit. We know we're going to heaven. And you have a purpose for us here on this planet. To share you with others. Lord, we're so grateful. The enemy wants to lie to us. He wants to steal the reality that we are your beloved. He wants us to think that we are far less. And God... Together, we just repent of that. And we ask us, by your Spirit, to open our eyes to know the truth and to live it out in the day-to-day grind of our lives, knowing that you are with us and that you love us. And that our circumstances and our feelings, when they try to tell us something different, it's not true. You tell us the truth. Heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. If you're here tonight and you've never invited Christ into your life, He has brought you here because He loves you and He wants you to know Him. The Bible is true that we're all sinners. God's clear on this that if we don't deal with our sin problem, if we don't allow Jesus to save us, that we're going to step off this planet, separated from God forever in a place of justice and judgment called hell. That's what our sins deserve. But that is not what God wants for us. But He leaves a choice with us. Revelation 3.20 says he knocks on the door of our hearts. It says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. So if you're here tonight and you're not sure you're going to make heaven, you've never invited Christ into your life, you've never surrendered your life to him, it's not just, hey, I'll give you part of my life, be my life coach. No. It's I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus come into my life. And he will. If that is you, you say, Wes, that's what I need. That's what I want then I'm going to invite you, not out loud, but in your heart, I'm going to invite you to tell Him. In fact, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer after me, not out loud, just in your heart. Mean the words as your own. It's not magic. Just let me, let me give you some words because somebody loved me enough one day to give me some words. If you want to give your life to Christ tonight, I want to have sins forgiven, know you're going to heaven, if you're committing your life fully to Jesus, say, I'm going to follow you. If that's you, then I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer after me. Silently, just say something like this. Just say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. I believe that you love me. That you gave your life for me to pay for my sins. And that you have eternal life. A home in heaven. A relationship with you to give me. I want it. So right now, I turn from my sin. I repent. Turn my back on it. I turn to you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a relationship with you. I am all yours. I'm all yours. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want to remember you in a closing prayer. I'm not going to uh, embarrass you in any way, shape, or form. But man, I want to pray for you because the Bible tells us to make our decisions for Christ public. And so this is what I'm going to ask you to do. With no one looking around but me, if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, say, Wes, I meant it. I just invited Jesus into my life. I want to ask you with no one looking around I want to ask you to just raise your hand so I see it so I can remember you in a closing prayer. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Say, Wes, here's my hand. Pray for me. Awesome. Thank you, I see it. Anybody else? Here's my hand. Wes. pray for me. a minute. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your truth. God, I pray for these who've raised their hands. Lord, help them to know if they've met business with you you've met business with them. You are good to your word. You moved into their life right now, this moment, forgiving them of their sins, giving them a relationship with you. God, I pray that in the days ahead, they would follow you with everything they have, that you would open their eyes to how much you love them. And God, they would turn from that which will destroy them and give themselves fully to you. God, use their lives for your glory. Father, for the rest of us, I pray that you would help us. Lord, you would help us to follow you, to believe that what you say is true. With your love for us, open our eyes to that, God. We get used to it. Forgive us of that. Just, Just open our eyes to the reality of what it means that you love us. And may we live in the light and the security of that every day until we see you face to face. Thank you, Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. To connect with us and to get more encouraging biblical content, go to vcb.church.